Wednesday, March 6, 2013, episode number 40 of the Football Nation Today podcast with Alex Reamer on footballnation.com. That's right, a nice round number, 40, but it's a new 30, right? Bad jokes aplenty here in Football Nation today, episode number 40. Of course, my name is Alex Reamer, and the show is published every Wednesday right here on FootballNation.com. And for your downloading convenience in the iTunes Store, please subscribe to the Football Nation Today podcast in the iTunes Store if you have yet to do so. We have a big show on tap for you today. Free agency does not begin until next week, Tuesday, March the 12th. Free agency officially kicks off across the league, but... It's now the tampering period. Oh, doesn't that sound exciting? What that means is teams have handed out franchise tags. Some players have been signed to extensions, which we'll talk about momentarily in the first down segment. And from now until free agency next Tuesday, you're going to hear the rumors flying around the league with teams uh, beginning to inquire about specific free agents. Coming up in our first down segment, the main story today is the Joe Flacco contract. Last week, we spoke with Tommy Curran. Patriots reporter for Comcast Sportsnet New England, and Tommy and I spent a lot of time talking about the Tom Brady contract extension, how Brady gave the Patriots a substantial discount, the three-year, $27 million extension. Well, (laughs) Joe Flacco didn't do the same to the Ravens, six years, $120 million for Flacco, but I will tell you why Joe Flacco, number one, won't earn that contract, but number two, why it doesn't matter. He doesn't have to earn it. Confused? That's okay. I'll explain in a few moments. We'll also talk about the eight players who were franchised across the league on Monday and looking at the overall lack of franchise tags that were handed out uh, in the NFL this year and what I think that says about the market and how many teams think with the relatively flat cap this offseason, many players could be had for below market value. Then the second down segment, we talk about the biggest off-field NFL story of the past week. I know I'm a few days late to the party here. We talked about it a little bit last week on the show, but I really have to get something off my chest in regards to Manti Teo and a lot of discussion about his, and really the public speculation about his sexual orientation and going off the news that teams were asking not just him, but other players at the Combine last week about their sexual preferences. And just, I have some thoughts on that, that uh, I need to get off my chest. And uh, here's a hint, the NFL needs to really get caught up with the times. If the military can handle it, uh, I think the NFL locker rooms can handle it as well. Third down segment, it's the big up slowdown segment, debating topics such as the Jets quarterback position, Brady Quinn and David Garrard coming on in. What does that mean for Mark Sanchez or these even improvements at all for the Jets. We'll talk about that. Randy Moss isn't returning to the 49ers. Would you want him coming to a team near you? And Jeff Saturday will re-sign with the Colts only to retire as a Colt. Is that cool or lame? We'll talk about that. Then the fourth down segment, it's the Reamer rant. ESPN columnist Jeffrey Chahida. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, but frankly, I don't care because he is a moron. He says the Tom Brady contract extension is a sign that all is over. In New England, um, okay, it's Football Nation today, episode number 40. We'll be right back on footballnation.com. So as I said in the opening, big story this week is the Joe Flacco contract. Didn't give the Ravens a discount at all. 
six years, $120 million, $62 million through the first three years of the deal. Currently makes Flacco the highest paid quarterback in the history of football, even higher, even a higher paid, excuse me, than Drew Brees of the Saints. But that, of course, is temporary. Flacco will be the highest quarterback in history of football until Aaron Rodgers, Matt Ryan, or somebody else signs his next contract. Uh, the pay scale for quarterbacks is only increasing, which makes what Brady did last week all the more remarkable. Tommy Curran, a Comcast sportsman in New England, told us that he surmises Brady left $52 million on the table, roughly by taking the three-year $27 million extension after 2014. Uh, I say, after looking at this Flacco contract, six years, $120 million, uh, Brady left arguably more than $42 million on the table. If Flacco's worth $20 million per season, uh, then Brady has to be worth, what, $25? Closer to $30? So, many thought, myself included, Brady left $40 million or so on the table. Well, after looking at this Flacco contract, maybe he left even more on the table. Uh, I've been wrong on Joe Flacco a lot <laughs> this season. Hell, I was long about, wrong about him last week. There were some rumors going around that the Ravens were debating putting the non-exclusive franchise tag on Flacco, and I went into a brief diatribe about how that shows. The Ravens don't think Flacco's elite, and they're calling his bluff. Well, I was wrong on that. I mean, the Ravens told, uh, told you all you need to know about what they think of Flacco by giving him this mammoth contract extension, but after thinking about this for some days, I think I have it. I think this is Joe Flacco analysis you're going to want to listen to. Because I haven't heard anybody else say this, and to me, it's so obvious. First of all, the Ravens didn't want to lose Flacco. You look at them. They won a Super Bowl in 2000. The seven years before Flacco were a lot worse than the five years after Flacco. Flacco took the Ravens to three AFC Championship games, including uh, two the past uh, two seasons. He played great this postseason, had a terrific Super Bowl, and showed that you can win with them. We talked about this last month after the Super Bowl. We can debate until the cows come home about Flacco. Is he elite? Is he not elite? What does elite even mean? But the bottom line is, it doesn't matter. You can win with him. You can win at the highest level with him. Joe Flacco is a Super Bowl winning quarterback and played great this postseason. He's historically played well in the postseason. When it matters most, he plays his best. So, ultimately... That's all that matters with him. Elite, not elite, who cares? You can win with them. So as I said, the seven years before Flacco, after 2000, were a lot worse than the five years after Flacco. The Ravens have a guy they feel comfortable with. They have a guy they can win with at the highest level. So of course, they want to keep him. And yeah, the Brady contract had no effect on this. Some were saying that last week. Uh, those people were quite wrong. Now, this is the big point I want to hit on with Flacco. I teased this in the opening. I said, number one, Joe Flacco won't be worth this contract. But number two, it doesn't matter. You may be saying, Alex, I don't understand. Well, maybe now you will. He won't be worth this contract because he is not the best quarterback in the league. And right now, he's the highest paid quarterback in the league. Joe Flacco was 25th. 25th in ESPN's total quarterback rating this past season. His career high in, quarter, in total quarterback rating is 12th, which is what he was in 2010. Now, I'm not a huge fan of total quarterback rating. Uh, I think a lot of these quarterback metrics all have their pluses and minuses to them. But just to use it as a barometer, if you will, Flacco is not a weak guy, really, by any statistical measure. 
And ESPN total quarterback rating actually has him quite worse than even mediocre. I mean, 25th, that's the bottom tier of the league. I think Flacco's really closer to 10 to 15. But still, you go by any metric, especially the total quarterback metric, which a lot of statisticians like, uh, won't even come close to earning this contract. But he doesn't have to earn the contract. Because here's the thing about contracts in the NFL. They aren't permanent. These contracts are not guaranteed. The biggest thing when looking at these contracts, these long-term deals, is what does it do for the cap space? What does it do for the team's cap space? How does it help them out there? That was obviously one of the main kickers with the Brady deal last week. Well, if Flacco were franchised next season, he would have counted for roughly uh, $14.9 million against the salary cap. He was franchised, nearly $15 million against the cap, 14.9. This year, with this extension, the Ravens structured it so Flacco only counts for $6.8 million against the cap this offseason. That's it. Next year, he counts for $14.8 million against the cap, a sizable amount, but still, won't kill you. $14.8 million, not too bad in the grand scheme of things. The Ravens obviously have a lot of free agents this offseason besides Flacco. They franchise nobody. So Ed Reed, Anquan Bolden, Danelle Ellerby, Paul Kruger, all those guys on the open market. But because of the relatively flat salary cap this year, and I say the word relatively, because of course teams, if they didn't spend up to the cap the previous season, they get what they call rollover money into the cap this year. So a lot of teams can go over the $122 million, but still, for the first time in a long time, The cap is not raising, so a lot of teams feel, and the Ravens obviously feel this way too, since they didn't franchise anybody, they feel a lot of free agents on the market can be had for below market value, and the Ravens feel they're in good enough cap position, thanks to Flacco, only counting for $6.8 million against the cap, that they can retain a lot of their free agents. So, this contract is great for the Ravens in the immediate future. If they franchise Flacco, he would have had a cap hit, of $14.9 million. They signed to this long-term deal. His cap hit this season is for a minuscule $6.8 million, and for next season, it's at a fairly manageable $14.8 million as well. Now, afterwards, in the final three years of the deal, yes, his cap hit is projected to dramatically increase. But here's the thing. If Flacco doesn't perform up to the contract these next two seasons, and I don't think he will, because Joe Flacco... Is not a top quarterback in this league. You guys know my feelings on that. He's a mediocre to slightly above average regular season quarterback who's performed great in the playoffs, performed great in the postseason last year. But is Joe Flacco a $20 million a year player? No, absolutely not. I don't think anybody believes that. And I don't think the Ravens believe it either. What the Ravens have done here is this. They've signed Flacco to a long-term deal. They've showed faith in him. They're giving him all the confidence he needs heading into the 2013 season. He is their franchise guy, if you look at this contract. And Flacco's probably been told he is the Ravens' franchise guy. These next two seasons, the cap hit is manageable. Especially this year, it's below $7 million. Once you get past the next two seasons, if Flacco does not perform up to this deal, I don't think he will. I don't think the Ravens think he will. You can always restructure the deal. As we know, football is a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately business. 
as evidenced by the six-year, $120 million contract to Flacco. He wins the Super Bowl, gets this big payday. In two seasons, if the Ravens struggle a little bit, if Flacco struggles a little bit, hell, if he's even what he was before this past year, in postseason especially, the Ravens can go to the table and try to restructure this deal with him. And Flacco will have to abide by what the Ravens say, because that's the way it works in the NFL. So Flacco will not live up to this contract. He absolutely won't. But it doesn't matter. He's not going to have to. Because this thing will get restructured after two years. They'll give him two years with manageable cap hits. The $6.8 million cap hit this year in particular. 14.8 next season. Again, not horrible. And then they'll return to the negotiating table if Flacco doesn't live up to the deal. And he probably won't. And I haven't heard anyone else say that. But to me, it's obvious. Because these deals in the NFL are not permanent. And you'll see that with this Joe Flacco contract. He won't live up to the deal, but he doesn't have to. After two years, once the cap hits will start to become too large, the Ravens can go back to the table and restructure if Flacco isn't worth the money. And if he is worth the money, great. He'll be worth the cap hits. But smart money is that he won't be. And again, that's fine. He doesn't need to be. Wrapping up the first down segment, eight players were franchised across the NFL this week. Quickly to run through their list, Miami defensive tackle Randy Starks, Chicago defensive tackle Henry Melton, Indianapolis punter Pat McAfee, Denver left tackle Ryan Clady, Cincinnati defensive end Michael Johnson, Kansas City left tackle Brandon Albert, Buffalo safety Jarius Bird, and Dallas outside linebacker Anthony Spencer. To make room for Spencer, the Dallas released safety Gerald Sensabaugh. So another quality player hits the open market. Dwayne Bowe was not franchised by the Chiefs. They, of course, franchised offensive lineman Brandon Albert. But Bowe and the Chiefs did work out a five-year contract extension. So that's why he was not franchised. Now, the relative lack of franchise tags across the league shows you that teams expect a lot of players to be had at below market prices this offseason. Given, of course, the flat cap. There is a rollover, but still the cap is not increasing north of 120, is not going, excuse me, north of $122 million. The Patriots, for example, didn't franchise anybody because they think they can have their guys back for below market value. The franchise tag for Keeb Tlaib, cornerback, would have been around $10 million. The Patriots feel they can bring Tlaib back for a deal at less than $10 million per season. Maybe they think they can get him for five. Or six. That's why the Patriots didn't franchise anybody. As I said, the Ravens didn't franchise anybody. Because they believe the cap is a factor this season. A lot more players will be on the market. And because more players will be on the market. And a lot of teams are up against the salary cap. Those players, of course, can be had or could be had for below market value. Now on the Patriots, and I've said this before. We talked about it last week with the Brady uh, with the Brady extension. I want the Patriots to be aggressive this offseason. They have more than $23 million in cap space. They're in terrific cap space. Not quite as good as Miami, who I believe is close to $40 million in cap space, uh, if, I if I hear that correctly. Uh, a couple of other teams have terrific cap space, but the Patriots are still in very good shape. More than $23 million under the salary cap. And the biggest thing for them is they're nearing the end of Tom Brady's window. They cannot have a repeat of 2006. Brady restructured his deal after 2005, 
And what happened? The Patriots let Deion Branch go. They let David Givens go. And they gave Brady, Rishé Caldwell, and Doug Gabriel as his top two wide receivers to open up the season. They essentially punted the 2006 campaign from a personnel perspective. That can't happen. It cannot happen this time around. The Patriots need to load up after Brady's done this for them. I hope they can re-sign Welker long-term. And if you read the reports, it seems as if the Patriots and Welker are working towards a long-term extension. If they let Brandon Lloyd go, that's fine with me. Just I would say you got to find a replacement. you got to find somebody better than Lloyd was. And you hear all the reports trickle throughout the media this week about how Lloyd was really a pill in the locker room, very moody, teammates didn't love him, didn't always give 100% effort in practice. It comes off like a smear campaign to me. I mean, the Red Sox do this all the time. When a player's on his way out, the reports start circulating throughout the press. But, oh yeah, this guy was never liked anyway, never fit in with the Patriots' way. And I say, you bring in a guy like Brandon Lloyd, what do you expect? Statistically speaking, he had the second best year of his career this past season in New England. And this is a guy who's been in the league for 10 seasons. And he's played on a litany of teams. He's played on the 49ers, Redskins, Bears, Broncos, Rams, Patriots. So let's see. That's six teams in 10 years. And a different team every season since 2010. So for each of the past three years, Lloyd has been on a different team. I think he got out of Brandon Lloyd what he could have real, realistically expected to get out of him. And if you're going to let Lloyd go, that's fine. I didn't think he was spectacular this year either, as an outside-the-numbers option. Had virtually no yards after the catch. But if he goes, you have to find a replacement. And who that replacement is, I don't know. But you look at the way this team is constructed right now, and you got to look at it and say this. Tom Brady gave you a gift with this contract extension. Freed up a lot of cap space for this offseason and next offseason. You've been knocking on the door for the past several years. You've made the AFC Championship game two consecutive seasons. You lost the Super Bowl two years ago. Lost the AFC title game this year. You have a young defense that continues to mature, continues to improve. But could use a couple more veterans on that defense. You could use another veteran situational pass rusher. You can maybe use another veteran coverage linebacker. You could certainly use a couple more veterans back there in that secondary to help that unit play better together. An Ed Reed type. Ed Reed would be my dream for the Patriots. Charles Woodson would be an intriguing option as well at safety. And offensively speaking, you got to re-sign Brady's Wooby. You got to re-sign Welker. Yeah. He's dropped some big passes over the past couple postseasons, but he's also caught 100 passes nearly every single year he's been here. That offense flows through Wes Welker. If you let Brandon Lloyd go, that's fine, but you got to find a replacement. I don't want anything reminiscent of 2006. Because the point the Patriots is this, and this is why this is such an essential offseason for them, with all the cap space they have. If they don't win, at least one more Super Bowl with Brady. At least one more. And they have five more years to do it. And let's say two to three more years to do it while Brady's still in the back end of the prime of his career. If they don't win at least one more with Brady, their legacy becomes more about the ones they've lost than the ones they've won. That's a fact. The time's ticking. Clock's ticking. You have all this cap space to spend. You think you're going to be shopping at Walmart. 
Get all these players for below average for below average value. Let's see it. It's been building towards this. This has to be a big offseason for the Patriots. Now, we know you can't build a team through free agency, which, again, is not what the Patriots are trying to do. They have their core there. They have to surround that core now with veteran talent off the free agent market. But the trade market is intriguing as well. And I'll close the first down segment with this point. With the lack of skilled players in this year's draft, there may be a run on receivers and corners, not just on the free agent market. Guys like Greg Jennings are receiver, are, are free agents, excuse me. Uh, William Moore is a safety from Atlanta, but he didn't get franchised. He's out there, as is Deshaun Goldson. A lot of good players out there at receiver, safety, cornerback, skill positions on both sides of the football. That's why if I'm the Jets, I trade Darrell Revis and don't think twice. And I've said this numerous times already this offseason. I'll continue to reiterate this statement. How much do you think a team like Denver would love to have Revis? You can say that the Denver Broncos putrid cornerback play <laughs> is why Flacco got this monster deal from the Ravens. Made Flacco an extra 40 to 50 million. How about a team like Indianapolis? How much do you think they would love to have Revis back there help out that young defense? But I think the perfect match for Revis are the San Francisco 49ers. Revis even said on Seattle fullback Michael Robinson's internet talk show, pretty, pretty good get, huh? That he loves the 49ers roster and would be addition in San Francisco to help them win the trophy. And Revis apparently loves that idea. He said as much. Michael Robinson's talk show, apparently now must-listen radio. The 49ers have like 15 draft picks this year. They have a lot of picks to give up. If you're the Jets, you're not going to win with or without Revis this upcoming season. Trade him for a boatload of draft picks and use him to plug a number of your other holes. 49ers have 15 picks in this year's draft. They have a lot to give up. They want to improve their cornerback play after Chris Culver's performance and the rest of that secondary's performance in the Super Bowl against Baltimore. Anquan Bolden and the Ravens receivers running all over him back there. Plug in Revis to the 49ers. They are Super Bowl favorites coming out of the NFC. It's the perfect destination for him. It's out of the conference on the other side of the country. So it's a great landing spot for the Jets. to. So it's a great place for the Jets to place him. I think it makes too much sense for it not to happen. Which probably means it won't happen, but granted, that's something obviously to look out for as well. The Darrell Revis rumors, which should be very real, and there are a lot of realistic destinations for him. And the more I think about it, the more I think that the San Francisco 49ers are the best landing spot for him. Moving on to our second down segment, we discussed the biggest off-field NFL story of the past week. This won't be too long this week. And I'm late to the party on this. We've tiptoed around this topic the past couple of weeks. But I want to come out and not parse any words on this show. About Manti Teo. Reports last week. The NFL teams weren't only asking Teo, but were asking other players. If they like girls. About their sexual orientation. Their sexual preferences. And not only is that illegal, but I find it deplorable. Absolutely deplorable. It's deplorable. That Teo's sexuality was a hot talk radio topic last week. Now, some hosts couched it by saying they're in favor of gay rights. The NFL should be accepting the gays. But, oh, Teo, do you think he's gay or straight? Call us up, toll free. We'll put you right on the air. Phone lines lit up. And to me, that's still equally slimy. 
it's slimy to speculate on somebody's sexual orientation and make that a radio topic that will get phone lines to light up for four hours. I'm in favor of gay rights, I'm in favor of the gay movement. I wish it wasn't this way, but it is this way. Teo, is he straight or is he gay? And how that affect his draft status? Give us a call, toll free. Slimy. Now, I understand how this could cause some discomfort in NFL locker rooms, which aren't exactly the most socially progressive places. And I joked about it a few weeks ago on this show that, yeah, Teo might get it pretty hard in training camp. Wouldn't love to be him this August, I'll put it that way. But you know what? Too bad. You know? Too damn bad. If they can handle gays in the military, they can handle gays in the NFL. Generals can handle it. If John Harbaugh can't handle it, then well, screw John Harbaugh. I don't mean to single out him. Jim Harbaugh, Bill Belichick, Tom Coughlin, whomever. A coach needs to draft Teow, or draft any player, or any questions arise with the player's sexual orientation, and that needs to be that. You can't force cultural Neanderthals to evolve. Or, excuse me, you can't, you can't wait for your cultural Neanderthals to evolve. You have to force them to. Just like the Supreme Court rulings in the 1960s, Civil Rights, Voting Rights Act. Before then, Brown v. Board of Education, 1950, 1954, desegregate the public schools. You can't wait for the cultural Neanderthals to evolve. You have to force them to. Now, I seldom agree with Jason Whitlock, now writing for FoxSports.com, but he's right on the money here. Whitlock writes, let's be honest. I think it's reasonable to assume that 15% of NFL players are gay and or bisexual. I think Whitlock might be a little high there, but the point still stands. Generally speaking, they're forced to conceal their sexuality out of fear of being ostracized and potentially released from the team. They need to be set free, released from the grip of the most hostile work environment in America. Is there a more homophobic work setting than a football locker room? I can't think of one. Whitlock continues, There's a terrific opportunity here for Goodell. He can make the NFL a zero-tolerance zone for homophobia. He can use the weight of his office and the power he wields because of the player conduct policy to go after players and organizations that tolerate any form of sexual discrimination. He can send a clear message. The NFL commissioner is a friend to gays, and will take every possible action to ensure they're treated fairly. Goodell can create an environment that entices a closeted gay player to come out and be the hero and role model for gay kids, parents of gay children, and an overgrown idiot's need. Excuse me. How can he accomplish all this? He can start by partnering with gay rights activists and establishing an oversight committee that investigates monitors and trains NFL teams in issues related to anti-gay workplace hostility. He can then begin treating offenders with the same heavy hand he uses on players for illegal hits and off-field incidents. Again, I seldom agree with Jason Whitlock, but he's right on the money there. We've spent some time this offseason thus far talking about Roger Goodell's legacy, and player safety has been at the top of that list. But I've also talked about overexpansion, about how Goodell will have to fight that. Well, this is another issue. Put at the top of the list. Gays in sports, and in Goodell's case, gays in the NFL. Roger Goodell is a gay brother. He can use this as an opportunity to stand for something besides finding players for wearing their socks too high or their socks too low. Roger Goodell wields his power and finds you for pretty much anything. Is he going to stand up and find teams for sexual discrimination? Is he going to take a stand and say the NFL is a friend to gays and that's that? And if you have a problem with that, here's a $10,000 fine coming your way. 
What's Goodell's legacy going to be? Is he going to be finding players for wearing their socks too high? Or actually wielding his power towards something good? Towards something progressive? Towards something positive? The choice is his. Moving on. Third down segment. You know the drill. I say a statement. Then affirm my agreement. Or disagreement with that statement. By saying big up. Or slow down. And there's no great transition to go from a heavy topic like what we just talked about in the second down segment, gays and sports, to the Jets quarterback situation. Not a heavy, serious topic, but that's the best I can do for a transition. My apologies there. So let's talk about the Jets. They're interested in bringing aboard Brady Quinn and David Garrard to compete with Mark Sanchez. Pick up or slow down. Are these good moves for the Jets, given where they are now? We may laugh at it. And all do we laugh on Quinn and Garrard, my roommate. Is a Jets fan. Had a good chuckle about this with him a couple of days ago. But my question is this. What's the alternative for the Jets at this point in time? Is the alternative to give up a high second round pick and an additional draft pick for Alex Smith like the Chiefs did? I said last week on the show I like that move for the Chiefs and I stand by my statements because I think the Chiefs are a different position than the Jets are. You put Alex Smith on the Jets in the AFC in the AFC East, excuse me. Do they win the division? No. Do they win a wild card out of the AFC? Probably not. Have to play the Patriots twice a year. Dolphins will be improved with all that cap space. And the Jets and Chiefs, frankly, are at different points in their franchise. So I say big up. Given where the Jets are, bringing in Quinn and Garrard might be the best they can do. Yeah, Garrard hasn't played since 2010, but he's been a passable starter in the league before. Played a Jaguars team to the playoffs not too long ago. I mean, Mark Sanchez can't be cut that cut this year. That seems to be the reality, because the salary cap implications would just be too harsh. And the Jets are already in salary cap trouble. It's a weak quarterback class in the draft for quarterbacks. Excuse me, it's a weak QB class in the draft. It's a weak free agent class for quarterbacks. Doesn't appear to be much on the trade market outside of Matt Flynn, who couldn't beat out rookie Russell Wilson last year in Seattle for the starting gig. The best option for the Jets with Sanchez still on the roster may be to throw a bunch of crap against the wall and see if it sticks. It's not ideal. It's far from ideal. But the Jets as a franchise are not in an ideal spot right now. They got to do the best they can do. And Quinn and Garrard and whoever else they can bring in to compete with Sanchez may be the best they can do. Alex Smith would be better, no doubt about it. But if you're a Jets fan, would you rather have a high second round pick and another pick go to Alex Smith to maybe bring you to 7-9, 8-8 at at best? Or would, you rather ha- or would you rather use those picks towards building the next great Jets team, if I can say that? Or maybe the first great Jets team, given Jets history. <laughs> I kid. But no, really. What would you rather have those picks used for? Alex Smith, who will take you to 7-9, and 8-8 and maximum this year? Or would you rather use those picks towards developing your ne- the next nucleus of players for hopefully the next great Jets team? I choose the latter. I think the Jets wisely are choosing the latter here too. So given where they are, Quinn and Garrard, it's fun to mock. We will mock them. They can't cut Sanchez. you got to give them at least a chance to compete for the starting job in training camp. But given where the Jets are, this may be the best move. Bring in a couple of veterans. Matt Moore's a guy who may be brought in there as well. Throw a bunch of crap against the wall. 
and see if it sticks. Now, Randy Moss isn't returning to the 49ers. He cut ties with San Francisco this week. But Moss did say he wants to play for a contender next season. Pick up or slow down. If I were a contending team, would I bring Moss in? The answer there is slow down. Randy Moss is done. D-O-N-E done as a player. He had 28 catches in 16 games this season and gave a less than stellar effort in the Super Bowl. Where would Randy Moss be a good fit? Do you want to put him on a young team like the Colts? No. I wouldn't want, I wouldn't want my players around Moss. Moss is universally loved pretty much everywhere he's been, and that's the problem. Players like him. They follow him. And his less than stellar work ethic. I wouldn't put Moss anywhere near a young team like the Colts and put him on a young developing quarterback like Andrew Luck. I wouldn't do that. Not a good spot for him. He can't return to Minnesota. They need wide receivers. But they're going to look far away from Moss. Burned all the bridges there. Really? He was already with the Niners. Not returning to the Patriots. They were done with him in 2010. Replaced him with Dion Branch. That's how much they thought of Randy Moss not too long ago. I don't know if there's anywhere for him to go. Do you want to put him in Seattle? Mess with that young team? No. Atlanta doesn't need him. Julio Jones and Roddy White, they stretch the field just fine. You want to put him in Chicago? Randy Moss would be great in Chicago, huh? In those sub-zero temperatures in Soldier's Field? Yeah, Randy Moss really embodies hard-nosed Chicago Bears football. I don't see any place where Moss would fit. He was a great talent in the prime of his career, one of the best receivers to ever play this game, statistically speaking. But he's now far removed from his prime and isn't worth bringing in for leadership purposes because he isn't a leader. So slow down. If I were a contending team, I would not bring in Randy Moss. Last question. Jeff Saturday has spent the last few years for the Green, with the Green Bay Packers playing on their offensive line. He will retire with the Colts, re-signing with them to retire tomorrow, Thursday. Instead of big up or slow down, we're doing a little corny or cool here. Is it corny or cool when Saturday or any other player signs with the team he's most synonymous with and retires with that team? Corny or cool? I'm going to go cool. I think it's pretty cool. I liked it when the Red Sox did this with Nomar a couple of years ago. Nomar retired a Red Sox. It's nice for a player to go out as a member of the franchise he's most synonymous with. And Jeff Saturday, of course, most synonymous with the Colts, hiking the ball to Peyton Manning for all those years. In the Pro Bowl, Saturday switched sides, hiked the ball to Manning one last time. I admit that was kind of lame. <laughs> but this isn't lame. I think it's kind of cool. It's harmless. It's cool. Have Saturday wear that Colts blue. And retire in Indianapolis Colts. Not a Green Bay Packer. We all view Jeff Saturday as a Colt. So yeah, it's cool. In today's day and age of sports. To see athletes be able to return to the team they're most synonymous with. Because hey, I mean, you don't always leave on good terms. So it's always cool to see a player still have a relationship. With the team he's most identified with. At the end of his career. So Jeff Saturday will retire a Colt. What a great career it was for him. Also, great offensive lineman Matt Burke. Now the Minnesota Vikings retired. Last week as well. So closing out the show in our fourth down segment, it's the Reamer rant. Now, interesting things happened to the Reamer rant the past few weeks. Last week, we spent some time taking on the smarmy contrarians who insisted that Brady didn't do the Patriots any favors, even though he left $40-plus million on the table with that extension. 
And this week we're talking about a column written by ESPN columnist Jeffrey Chakita saying the Patriots are done. And I don't want to come across as a Patriots homer because trust me, that's the last thing I want to come across as. But, you know, I just don't like stupidity. And whenever something positive happens with the Patriots in today's day and age, there's a lot of stupidity that flies around out there. And Jeffrey Chahita is just doing his job. He's trying to generate clicks. He doesn't care if we think he's a knuckle-dragging fool, which is what he comes off as after reading this column. By the way, that's Jeffrey with an I. J-E-F-F-R-I. Jeff Rye. So, Jeffrey Chahita with the hot takes, trying to stir the pot, be the provocateur, but instead he comes off as the fool. He says this about the Pats. Opens like this. Ready? When the good times end in the very near future, New England Patriots fans will remember this week as a turning point. Ooh, I like it, huh? Really sucks the reader in. Because, of course, Brady signing for three years, $27 million, and freeing up cap space is a terrible thing to happen. Why would you ever want that? If that's not a sign of the end, I don't know what is. Your franchise quarterback signs for well below market value, freeing up $8 million in cap space this offseason alone. Oh, terrible. Oh, if that's not the end, I don't know what is. He continues, they will also see that AFC Championship game loss to Baltimore as additional evidence of an overrated franchise. Oh, yeah, because three Super Bowl wins in four years, 01 to 04, two Super Bowl appearances and three AFC title game appearances since 2007. That's real terrible. The epitome of overrated. Real mark of an overrated franchise. Winning the division five out of the past six years and every season except 2002 and 2008 since 2001. That's overrated as well. I agree with you, man. That's overrated. <laughs> like this, oh my God. Shahida says a lot of other crap that we won't talk about. He finishes with this. At some point, all great players can see whether they're playing on a team that has the goods to win a championship or merely on a respectable contender. It wasn't until this past year that the Patriots proved they're actually in the latter category these days. So they're just a respectable contender, whatever that means. That's a tough place to be when you've been used to dominating for so long. Unfortunately for New England fans, it's hard to see anything more than that before Brady eventually calls it a career. Okay, so Shahida says it's the end now for the Patriots. They'll just be a respectable contender. They're not going to win a title, not going to come close. Throughout these next five seasons, as said to Jeffrey Chahita, uh, okay, they have a little more than $23 million in cap space this season. There's a lot of room to add, a lot of room to retain their players, Wes Walker, Aqib Tlaib, offensive lineman Sebastian Vollmer, if they so choose, and add to that nucleus. A nucleus which, by the way, has been to the AFC title game in two consecutive seasons, and has been to a Super Bowl uh, in the past two seasons as well. So there's room to add to already a core that's gone quite a ways in the playoffs over the past two years. So they've been knocking on the door for a while. And with this $23 million in cap space, more, more than that, they can add to this core. This already close to championship caliber core. And I look at the ages of the players on this team. Devin McCourty, 25. Gerard Mayo, 27. Brandon Spikes, 25. Vince Wolfworks, only 32. He's the old veteran on the defense. Offensively speaking, Stephen Ridley, 24, Rob Gronkowski, 23, Aaron Hernandez, 23. Drew, the beginning of the end for those guys in their early 20s? Really? Gosh, you're harsh, man. 
So Jeffrey Chiquita is trying to rile the masses, and good for him. Patriots fans are easy targets. They get upset with this kind of stuff. And normally I would say don't sweat the small things, but, you know, this is a case where you gotta call out stupidity when you see it. And this Jeffrey Chiquita article is stupidity. The Greg Doyle article on CBSSports.com, which he wrote late last week, saying if Brady really wanted to do the Patriots a favor, he would have played for free next season and for the next five years, because, yeah, that's realistic. The Players Union would really love that. Tom Brady faced the NFL, decides to play for free. Oh, yeah, that would do wonders for the NFLPA. They'd be on board with that, man. I understand, in a calmness in today's day and age, whoever screams louder gets the most attention. I understand that. In today's day and age, media, with all the outlets out there, all the options out there, it's a battle for clicks. It's a battle for attention. But there is still such a thing as negative attention. Any kind of publicity isn't always good publicity. I don't even know who this guy is. Jeffrey Chahita. Jeffrey with an I. But I'll never read this fool again. Why would you read him again? He wrote a column to troll. He's a troll. Which is fine. You want to be a troll, you want to be a troll. But if you want to be taken seriously, mm, writing stuff like this is not the way to go about it. So you want to critique the Patriots? That's fine. I'll critique them with you all day long. They have not been perfect over the past five years in terms of personnel decisions. I've been upfront with that. But they've been pretty damn good. And the future for the Pats is pretty damn bright. And the facts are telling me that. Not some made-up 8th grade level thesis. So, Jeffrey Chahita, I would hope, you know, I, I, the, previously the most memorable thing about you is that you spell Jeffrey with an I. But now, Jeffrey Chahita will no longer just be synonymous with an unusual spelling of the first name, will now be synonymous with moron. And that's who you want going for you, fine. I just choose a different route. Thank you for tuning in. Episode number 40 of Football Nation Today podcast with yours truly, Alex Rimmer. As always, feel free to leave a comment on the show page on footballnation.com. I want to thank Charlotte, who was a frequent commenter of the show, always showering me with compliments. It's very nice to you, Charlotte. I get most of my self-esteem from the internet, so I appreciate that. Always appreciates the kind words or the not-so-kind words you have. If you have any words at all, write them on our comment page, footballnation.com. Also, feel free to email me. A reamer at bu.edu is my email address. And also feel free to follow me on Twitter at AlexReamer1 is my Twitter handle. So long, everybody. Thank you for listening. Enjoy the tampering period. We'll talk to you next Wednesday when free agency will be underway. How exciting. So long. Talk to you next Wednesday. <laughs>